you know, what's your take on pubic hair these days? I mean, I hear, I hear from Samantha from Sex in the City that Bush is back. Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Today on the Sex, Body and Soul show, we have renowned family medicine physician, Dr. Dolly Clock. She speaks all over the world and she consults with parents and their kids to connect over sensitive health subjects such as puberty, sexuality, the dreaded digital world, and all related adolescent health topics. She is the founder of Adolescence, and she has been consulting with us closely on The Body Agency, and I am so thrilled to welcome her today on the show. Dr. Dolly Clark. It is so good to have you on the show. How are you? Hi, Kate. I'm well. So great to see you this morning. How is everything? Everything is great, but I'm sure you know you are my shiro. (laughs) I admire your work and you so much. And I would absolutely love to know what inspired you to start adolescence and get into this line of work. Tell me everything. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, And adolescence was a long time in the making. Um, You know, throughout my medical training, I always loved working with adolescents, with tweens and teens, and I loved talking with them about sort of the physical and emotional changes that they were going through. And I loved helping parents sort of connect with their kids and understand what their kids were going through. And and I also have always been a huge sort of mental health advocate as well. And, you know, there's so many emotions during this time. And I kind of became the de facto therapist, I think, for a lot of of my patients. Um, And the other thing I realized in my clinical years was, was how important it was when parents and kids had an ongoing open line of communication where there was trust and even humor about some of these like trickier topics Mm -hmm. and what a difference that made in the lives and the health of these kids. Because I would Mm -hmm. see the teens who would come in, you know, because they were concerned they might be pregnant or maybe they thought they might have a sexual infection and what a difference it was for these young people who sort of had the backing of their parents. You know, they'd already had these conversations and they were kind of coming in as a team and how different that felt from those that were alone and that were scared. Um, and couldn't have these conversations at home. So I became very, very passionate about helping to foster and kickstart those conversations at home um, because it makes such a difference in the health of our mm. of our kids. And that was sort of the beginning of it. And then once mm. I had kids of my own and they were kind of getting, you know, once they were in that sort of mid-elementary school age, they're both teenagers now, but um, that's when I started to realize I was getting so many questions from my friends had kids that age and questions from other parents in my community who knew that I was a physician. And it was about all this really good stuff, right? About how and when to talk to kids about puberty and sex and how to parent in the digital age and how to talk about body image and mental health. And and I realized that parents just needed support. Like there wasn't always Mm -hmm. enough time in a regular doctor's visit to go deep with these. So I started offering parent education and I started my puberty workshops that I do that are for kids and parents combined, because again, the whole idea is to kickstart these conversations so that they can 
continue at home. And then I do a whole bunch of other work with teens and, and adults. Well, as a parent of a 10-year-old girl, I can absolutely relate to how important that you are in parents' lives. I mean, I have a gazillion questions for you, and I know our listeners will be eager to connect with you as well. And so we're thrilled to have you at the Body Agency as one of our trusted advisors. Now, before I get into my questions, there is a fun fact about you uh-huh. that I know that my friend Heather Graham, the actress Heather Graham, played you in the series Scrubs. And I also happen to know that she talked to her food and was, you know, quite the character. So you are famous, <laughs> just putting it out there. And she played the character Dr. Molly Clark. Mm-hmm. So can you dish on that a little? Tell me about that and how it all came about. And is there something to talking to your food that we need to know about? <laughs> I don't sing to my food, but now that you've reminded me of that, maybe I should start. I mean, it's pandemic life. All sorts of weird things are happening. But this is so funny that I, I didn't know you were friends with Heather Graham. And that's so cool. So please say say Hi. Scrubs was just the world's greatest side gig. I mean, it was just such like good fortune and timing and such a huge joy, full part of my life to be involved with that show. So the way that all happened was that my husband is the real JD. So the the main character of the show is based on my husband. And this is because Bill Lawrence, who created the show and was the executive producer, he was my husband John's like best buddy in college. And so, so Bill called us. It was our final year of um, residency. We were at Brown and living in Rhode Island. He was here in LA and he called and was like, I'm writing a sitcom about, you know, it's going to be a pilot about medical residents and I want to interview you both. And we were like, um, our lives are not funny. There's nothing funny about being a, a resident. He, but of course he's Bill and he's magic and he makes everything funny. And anyway, the show got picked up just as we were moving, you know, had finished our residencies and we're moving back to LA. And so he asked if we would be medical advisors. And, and so we did. And then the Heather Graham character came in, you know, a couple seasons in, I think for a while. And, and that was, that was really funny to have someone named after me, of course, that was great. And then she's so fabulous. So it was, I was happy they chose someone so fabulous to, you know, carry almost oh, my name. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's just a sweetheart. She really is. So Dolly, now moving back to your day-to-day work, what, what's the sort of number one issue that parents come to you with regarding talking to their adolescents about the coming of age? Yeah. Oh gosh. So, so many things. Um, I would say on the younger end, you know, when we're talking about the younger kids and the tweens sort of just, you know, entering this time of puberty and stuff, it's so many questions about how to talk about these body changes, questions about when should we talk about sex? Is it too early? Are they ready for this yet, right? And I think a lot of parents don't understand developmentally that kids are ready for these conversations at a very young age, at four and five and six years old. That's when they typically start to ask some of these questions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as and lots of questions also within that age group around parenting in the digital age. That is such a, such a complicated layer mm-hmm. that we didn't have to deal with, our parents didn't have to deal with when we were growing up. And then as we get into sort of middle school age, it's a lot of questions. And sometimes this comes up before as well as that intersection between the digital age and puberty and sexuality, right? And the sexting and the porn exposure and like all of those added pieces. So there's a lot. There's so, so much. And then, of course, 
you know, we're living through this pandemic and that's yeah. changed everything. And so really, you know, last spring when the pandemic began, I put a lot of my usual work on hold and I really dove in deep with the mental health aspect and pandemic parenting and how to support our kids during this time and how to take care of ourselves as adults so that we can sort of be there for them. And this has been striking, you know, what how this has affected everyone. It's absolutely terrifying. Every single time my daughter gets on her electronics and she's obsessed, I understand that, that you know, the new, new social dilemma is around such easy access to porn. Yeah. And it's just terrifying for me. And I think to many, many parents, they're always on their electronics. I understand that Instagram and TikTok, you can get very quickly access to porn stars and porn sites. And what can you tell us about that? Because I, apart from blocking your phone, you know, I, I worry so much about my own daughter and she's, you know, I'm a very liberated parent and I'm constantly talking to her about this stuff. But the other day she came to me and said, you know, mommy, by sticking your fingers down your throat, you cannot get fat. And I just died. She's 10 and she'd watched a YouTube on a girl who was doing that. Yeah, I, mean, I know. What it's not just earth? the porn, right? It's there's There's so much crazy content out there and we can't even begin to imagine all that they might consume. And she's so lucky she has you that you have that open relationship because I know you're very open and I know you talk about all of these topics. And yeah. I think that's the ticket right there. I mean, unfortunately, this is this this is the water they're swimming in, right? And it's not, you know, I don't I don't like to blame the platforms because there's so much positive stuff that happens on social mm -hmm. media. And really there's mm -hmm. such a fun side and there's connection and there's support, but there is sort of the dark side as well. And you're right, you know, when they're, you know, when they're really little, it's about like, you know, limiting their access to these devices, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and being with them, like literally sitting next to them when they're on there, but eventually that's just not realistic anymore, right? And mm -hmm. they, they're on these mm -hmm. devices for school. Like, they have to be on them. And so certainly, you know, using filters and, and you know, blocking what you can, like, that can be helpful at that those younger ages. But it's not going to be enough. It's a false sense of security to think mm -hmm. that that's going to prevent them from encountering all this crazy content. And so that's yeah. where those conversations become so, so important, right? And in terms of mm -hmm. the pornography, I mean, this is it's there and it's so easily accessible and there's no age verification. And, you know, often when they're young, like your daughter's age, they're not looking for that, right? But they'll stumble upon it. It will find them sometimes, it even will, if they're mm -hmm. not looking. So it's really a question of when rather than if. And so that's why as soon as kids are old enough to be unsupervised on their devices, you have to start having these conversations mm -hmm. because they, mm -hmm. you know, you need to let them know that you know that while they're on there, something might pop up. They might be watching one video and another video just starts, or maybe they're researching something from school and whatever search term they put in turns up something they weren't expecting. And so they might encounter stuff that has naked bodies or stuff to do with sex or something mm -hmm. violent or whatever. And, and that that's something that happens. And if it happens, you want them to tell you, right? Because, because mm -hmm. what I've seen happen is the kids who, who do encounter porn or other type of content that 
they're processing it by themselves. And these are young kids who have no real life context from which to process mm-hmm. this information. Yeah. But they're alone and they they feel shame or they, um, they're scared to tell their parent because maybe they weren't even supposed to be on the computer. So now they're afraid of getting in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're mm-hmm. carrying this. So letting yeah. them know it's out there and letting them know that they won't be in trouble, that you want them mm-hmm. to talk to you, that's crucial. Yeah. I think, well, in fact, I know how important parenting is and having the conversation with your tweens and your teens and not just one, but an ongoing conversation. And actually, I have one of these vulva puppets, um, which I constantly whip out <laughs> for my daughter. You love your vulva puppet. I've I love my vulva. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's, you know, and it's celebrating our how beautiful our vagina is. And I think the more you can make this a fun conversation, you know, then with my vulva puppet, I'm going to show my daughter how to put a tampon in when the time is right. And, you know, I've already started to have those conversations about periods. But at the same time, she she's like, oh, mommy, that's icky. That's icky. No, no, no. But I know it's going in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, talk to me about, it seems that we're still a little bit in the dark ages with sex ed at school. And I know it's very controversial, but it still seems very old school in the way. I mean, I try to make it fun and, you know, I feel relaxed and I have a good, as you say, I have a good relationship with my daughter. But, you know, what was going on 10 years ago at school and what's going on now? And, you know, what's the barrier, Dolly, in getting, you know, the school and your parents? It's important that we approach this through those different avenues. But what's changed now over the last, and where's the gap? What do we have to fill with the sex ed, with parenting, with sex ed at school? Yeah, I think there's such a huge range in terms of the sex ed that our kids are getting within our own country, right? So much depends on who's doing the education at their school. I mean, when I was growing up, it was always the PE teachers were the sex educators, right? Here in the U.S., that was sort of where it fell. And some of them were good at it, and some of them had absolutely no interest. They wanted to be coaching their sport, right? This was not an area of interest. So I think it sort of stems from that sort of archaic (laughs) way of going about this. And I think this is still how it is in many places. But I do see a shift happening. I do think there are a lot of amazing, very progressive sex educators out there now. I think the future of sex education is really exciting, right? I think there's we're going to see more sex ed that is, you know, with combined genders rather than separating everyone for these conversations, which doesn't really make sense to do. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, coming back to the parent piece, there's so much discomfort around these topics. And I think we have to be sensitive and think about why that is, right? You know, I think a lot of my generation was raised in a time where you know, this was just not talked about, right? Like some people had parents who were great at these conversations, but, you know, some people were born maybe in a very religious household. And so this was not something that we talked about, right? Or, you know, sometimes people have had their own sexual trauma and that influences their ability to speak openly with their child, right? And if this wasn't modeled for us, it makes it difficult for us to have those conversations with our own mm-hmm. kids. And mm-hmm. and so it's the same with the, the people who are being charged with this sex education. If they, if they don't have a natural interest in that area, they may be carrying all that same weight around with them as well. But I do think there's so much opportunity for growth. I think that between 
the Me Too movement and um, a growing LGBTQIA community that's more vocal. And there's just so many more rich conversations and such a need for more inclusive sex ed. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, hopefully we end up more like the Netherlands. Like they've gotten it right yeah. over there, you know, because they approach it from the lens of communication, right? That mm-hmm. they start mm-hmm. teaching sex ed in preschool and it just gently, you know, carries on all throughout high school. And it's all about communication and understanding yourself and understanding what you want and communicating your desires to a partner. And that's what consent is, right? Like we have this big Mm -hmm. problem with consent in our country. And like, how do we talk about that? But that's what it all comes down to is great communication and just being open. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think there's real, you know, opportunity, opportunity Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also knowing your own body and Uh encouraging your children to explore their own bodies. And I remember having a conversation with you about a lot of women don't know that we have three holes. Mm -hmm. You know, we have three holes and we're very much looking forward to reading your op-ed about that. (laughs) Um, But in in one of our kits, we're, we're going to include a compact mirror so that you can go and check yourself out down there. So you actually know what your lady parts look like. And if we don't know what our lady parts look like and how they function, how on earth do we expect others who aren't as in tune as we are? And talking about that, you know, let's get onto the subject of boys. Because to change the world for women's sexuality, to honor the body, we have to start early talking to adolescent boys. Because, you know, I've, I've had tons of conversations with boys who also, you know, they don't know where the clitoris is or they don't know how women's bodies actually operate. And to raise a good man, we have to change the status quo on his education and learning about women and, and lady parts and also how our bodies work. And so we're, we're thinking about putting a kit together, a, a sort of know-how kit for boys so that they can get the right medically accurate education from the get-go so they don't have to fumble around and make mistakes. So I would love to ask you what you would put in an education kit for a 16-year-old boy and what would you put in the box? Excuse the pun. But what what would go in the box in your mind? Are you putting the vulva puppet in their box? You know, I'm not. No, because um, although I do love my bubble puppet, but one of the things that we're going to put in is, is a coaster that explains the way around a vagina so that there's little arrows saying, you know, here's where the clitoris is, here's the vulva. This, like, what's the difference? I mean, I think if you ask most women, if you say, okay, what's the difference between a vagina, a vulva, a clitoris, a pee hole? Um, they have no the idea. Entrance. No. <laughs> And so, you know, so I want to make it clear, a very clear kit for boys from the onset that they can take the box away and go and study everything in their own room. (laughs) So they have an education. So what would you put in the box? I love this because, you know, I will tell you that when I teach girls and and it's usually the moms that are attending with them and I teach girls about 
female reproductive anatomy and we talk about all the parts, I literally can see the light bulbs going off in some of the moms. Like they have not, they are learning because everyone calls everything a vagina, right? There There are other parts there, right? And they have different functions and understanding that is so important. And I agree, like for for boys and men who are going to have sex with women, it would be helpful for them to really have a better understanding of that anatomy. And I think, I think we need to do a better job of educating everyone about pleasure, right? And how this is, mm-hmm. because I think people get fixated on the anatomy and they get fixated on, you know, preventing pregnancy and preventing infections. And all of those are very important conversations, but we have to have more conversations about intimacy and more conversations about mm. pleasure and how sex is supposed to be pleasurable for everyone involved, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's not, yep. you know, and again, you know, not to keep coming back to porn, but our kids, you know, who are growing up in this in this landscape where they're getting their sex ed that way, right? That's where they're learning. And so no wonder they're confused, right? If they're watching very aggressive sex and 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 where the the actresses are like, you know, showing pleasure in something that in real life would never feel pleasurable to a woman, right? And so no wonder, no wonder they're confused. So I think learning about the anatomy too, but you know, the other thing I would put in that box is a key to get out of this man box that they're all trapped in, right? And like, I think our boys really need help with just emotional literacy and like, permission to be vulnerable and permission to express their emotions and, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. tools to better communicate, right? That's, that's what they need. Uh, That's what we all need. I think we all need Mm -hmm. the same thing, quite honestly, women, men, everyone, like, yeah, I I think the approach should be the same for everyone. And that's how we're going to get to the better place. Yeah. Well, another kit that we're designing right now is the be your own first kit for girls. Uh, where, you know, you'll have the mirror, you'll understand about masturbation in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you discover your own body before you give it away to somebody else and you honor your body. Yeah. Uh, you love your body and you know how your body works. And, you know, we should be in tune with our own bodies before somebody else. I mean, how can we communicate to another person what we want until we know it ourselves? So right. I, I love, I love all of this. And you know, the other thing I was, I was talking to Dr. Gail Dines, who's amazing. And, I, you know, you got me in touch with her. Thank you. And she was talking all about porn. And she was telling me that the damaging effects of porn on both boys and girls. I mean, you know, porn is where boys are getting their first sexual ed from these days. And, you know, we see women on porn that are not real women. And, and I also understand that labiaplasty, you know, shaving down your vagina is a very popular procedure now because girls and boys are encouraging girls to look like the characters in porn, which is not real. And on that subject, you know, what's your take on pubic hair these days? I mean, I hear I hear from Samantha from Sex in the City that Bush is back. Um, but then when you when you look at porn, you know, there's it's you know, I've heard also from Dr. Gale that boys are insisting on no hair now. And, you know, we have hair for a reason, right? right. We, God gave us hair. Um, <laughs> should we be talking to our kids about that? Um, you know, my 10-year-old now wants to shave her legs and, 
and she's excited to get pubic hair, you know, because she knows it exists. So, you know, what's all that about? And and what should we do? And, you know, it's almost a, a pubic hair pandemic. <laughs> or lack thereof. Um, lack of pubic yes. hair. Yeah. Is no, pushback? I mean, what do we do well, with I, this? You know what? In some circles, it is. Actually, there is like, you know, there are a group of people that are sort of very body positive and the hair hair is coming back. Body hair mm-hmm. in some women. So certainly not. This is not everywhere. So that this whole conversation is so fascinating to me because it's you know mm-hmm. it's hair right but it's this is natural we all get pubic hair right this is a secondary sex characteristic it shows like that we are physically you know mature right that's is why it develops during puberty and and you know it's thought to be protective too it reduces friction during sex right it's also sort of a protective layer for microorganisms you know, there's theories that it, evolutionarily it traps pheromones, and so that's part of what might make us attractive to a, a mate, right? But you know, there's this this disdain for it in our in our culture right now. And really, this comes from porn, right? Because if you watch mainstream porn, like everyone is completely hairless in there, and so again, if you are a kid who is being raised, you know, where with access to porn, right? Not because the parents are raising them, but because this is what they're they're seeing. And these are the first images you're seeing of naked bodies and the first images you're seeing of what sex is. And so you're used to seeing these hairless bodies, then you can understand how suddenly if you're in a real life interaction for the first time and your partner has pubic hair, that that might you might be taken aback or you might think something's weird or something's gross or something's wrong, right? So we have to, again, educate kids that like this is natural. This is a normal part of our our development. And, you know, your point to the labiaplasty, cosmetic labiaplasty, this is a thing. Again, this is coming from porn. So our kids have to understand that what they're seeing, that these bodies have been surgically altered, digitally altered, right? This is not, I have seen young adults with true body image issues because either they or their partners are watching porn. I've had young women come in and ask me to check their vulva. They call it vagina, of course, because everything's a vagina, but they're talking about Uh their labia because they think something's wrong with them. And these are anatomically perfectly normal people. There's a whole Mm. variety of shapes and sizes, right? This is normal. We're not all the same. We're not supposed to look like Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. so just understanding that I think is, is mm-hmm. so important. And at the end of the day, hair is hair, do whatever you want to it. I, I, I don't think you should do like permanent pubic hair removal because when the bush comes back, you're going to be like looking for a merkin or something, yeah. right? Like, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to bring bush back, uh, Dolly. Let's, <laughs> let's take that on as a mission. Bush is back. And, you know, you, you make a good point because if you permanently remove it, you can never grow it back and your vagina does your vulva changes over time as we get older. You might want to cover it up at some point. But I, you know, I remember being young and thinking that my vagina perhaps wasn't right. You know, it can hang out. It can be inside. You know, I mean, we have to start conversations about this. And, you know, on that note, what sort of tips would you give parents who are perhaps not as liberated and as confident as you and I are being in this profession. What sort of tips to talk to a teen, whether a boy and a girl, 
you have both, right? You I have, have both, both boys. Yeah. yeah. What 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 sort of tips? Because it's it is. I mean, obviously, we're developing these kits to help parents with guides, and they can, of course, book a session with you, which we're going to encourage through the body agency if it's difficult and they want to get some tips. But what tips can you give our listeners today about having that talk? Yeah, I think it starts with some self reflection, right? As a parent, like what what are your values? How were you raised? What are your barriers in terms of having these conversations and just, you know, spending some time with yourself figuring that out and thinking about what is it that you want? You know, sometimes it's hard for parents because they're looking at their 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, whatever, right? And and it's hard for them to imagine their child as a sexual being, right? So, but like, put that aside for a second and just fast forward and think of them as a full-grown adult. Like, what do you want for them? Because I think most parents want what I want, which probably what you want is that for them to be physically and emotionally healthy when it comes to their adult sexual lives, right? I, we mm-hmm. all want that for our kids. And mm-hmm. so so then coming back to like the person that you have in front of you, how do you start becoming open, becoming approachable, becoming askable in terms of these conversations, right? And I think there's so much pressure, there's so much perfectionistic parenting that I see where where parents want to get it right. It's coming from such a good place. They just want to get these conversations right, but then they put so much pressure on themselves that they just avoid it entirely, right? And Mm -hmm. you don't have to Mm -hmm. be the expert is number one. Number two is it should not be this big, huge, all-encompassing sex talk, right? These are conversations to just chip away at a little bit at a time. So if when kids are young, you have the advantage of time, you can kind of meet them where they are developmentally. But if they're already well into their teen years, it is not too late, but it's time. If you haven't already, it's time to start having these conversations. And you can use teachable moments to get you there. You can, you know, there's always something that's happening in the news, or you'll hear about some some sexting scandal at school that happened, or mm. um, using media, watching movies together, watching TV shows together. And now you're talking about the characters and their choices rather than your mm-hmm. kid or their friends, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think trying to take the judgment out of it, it's really yeah. important as well. And yeah. meeting your yeah. kid and, and meeting them with curiosity, like asking them questions and seeing what they think and hearing what they value is so important. Yeah. I actually, I use the time when I'm reading my daughter a story at night to, you know, that us time Mm -hmm. um, to occasionally broach. And and she's like, oh, there she goes again. (laughs) Your Um, kid, your daughter and my kids will someday have a big conversation about their moms and and how we... We talked about this all the time. Oh, right? uh, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so in wrapping up, as you know, the podcast is sex, body, and soul. And, you know, we really want to start normalizing these subjects. You know, our, our bodies are our temples. They, It's marvelous what our bodies can do as women. And so I've got a couple of questions for you regarding those three subjects. Okay. The first is sex. Yes. So I would like to get one tip from you on your sexy self-care. What do you bring into your routine that's good for you and your sex life and your own discovery? Okay. So this may not sound sexy, but this really is important to me. And that is Mm -hmm. 
making sure I get enough sleep and enough exercise because both of those things are what I need to um, reduce stress. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard to feel sexy if you are exhausted or stressed out. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that makes all the difference personally. Yeah. One of our partners was talking to me the other day and she's like, Kate, I need to go to sleep. I have two teens or tweens. And the last thing I'm thinking about at night is having sex with my husband. What can you do? And and so sleep, you're absolutely right. Sleep and exercise is, is bang on. Excuse the pun. <laughs> so body, mm-hmm. what do you do to relax? Because as we know, relaxation is also really, really important if you're going to have a great mm-hmm. sex life. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Is it reality television? Like you seem like the perfect woman to me, but you've got to have something that's bad for you that you I do to relax. promise I'm not perfect. I really promise. <laughs> I did um, binge watch uh, Bridgerton recently, which was like such a fun, guilty pleasure because I was sort of doing it like during the day. I've never watched TV during the day before, but it was sort of like the only time I could fit it in with everything else. So I would take like a little break. That was super fun. But in general, for me, like if I really need to relax, um, a bath, a bath yeah. does wonders, yeah. mindful breathing, getting in nature. Those are the things that, yeah. that help me. So two fun facts. One is my friend Ellen is the costume designer on Bridgerton. No kidding. She's yeah. an amazing but, job. Yeah. yeah. We're going to try and get Phoebe, who's the main lady character on the show. Because I think that's, that show also is very much in line with what we're trying to do. We're trying to educate young girls so that they don't have to fumble around when they are... Absolutely. In the dark. (laughs) Well, I I hope that you use some of that material on Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. I mean, the man lead is just absolutely gorgeous. So I know why you were watching it secretly, (laughs) Dolly. Okay. What makes your soul happy? Mm, The ocean and the sound of laughter. Wow. Two very important things. Especially yeah, my own kids' myself. laughter. That really makes yeah. me Well, happy. as parents, don't we do absolutely everything that we can to hear that laughter? Yes. Yes, we do, because it's the best. Nothing's better. It's the best. Well, <laughs> Dr. Dolly Clark, I will end as I began. You are my Shiro. The world is a better place because you're in it. And to all of our listeners, if you would like to book a session with Dr. Dolly Clark, please visit the Body Agency or Adolescence and you can get yourself some real Dr. Dolly Clark to help you with your parenting and these very difficult subjects that we're trying to normalize. So thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, thank you for being a big contributor to the work that we're doing. You are just the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. It was a pleasure. To be continued. Talking next. Yes. Yeah. All right. Take care now. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts. Thanks for listening.